Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. Uh, still working our way through verses 4 through 6. It was lengthy. I knew it was going to be. Uh, this is a very challenging subject for most people today, for all of us, I suppose. But trying to figure out exactly what it is Paul's talking about. And it's important for us to understand it. Through the years, there's been a lot of arguments over the length of a man's hair versus the length of a woman's hair. Uh, this has really been misunderstood. That's not the point of what Paul's talking about. It's not about the length of hair that a person has. There's, there's no set number. A man's hair can't be over one inch or a woman's hair must be 12 inches. There's nothing like that. The term short and uh, long, they're relative terms. But uh, there's been a lot of problems through the years over this idea, so we want to go slow and make sure we understand exactly what Paul's talking about, what the point of this whole matter is. We discussed uh, partially last week, verses 4 through 6, the principle of subordination and authority is what this is really all about. It's not, really, it's not about hair. It's about uh, subordination, the, the order, Christ, man, woman. That's the, that's the whole purpose of this and how each one is to assume their role uh, and uh, accept it, gladly accept it, and not try to be something other than what or who we are. So uh, we'll just read through a couple of verses, I think, that we've already talked about so we can keep the context going. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. That would be, of course, to Christ. Every woman who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. That would be the man. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. If she doesn't have a covering on her head, the, the veil, then why not shave your head? You know, what's the difference? To, uh, to remove the veil, you might as well remove the hair altogether. It just doesn't matter anymore. Uh, some some are talking about the, the woman's hair being the covering. That's not really his point. He's talking about a veil, what they wore over their face, which generally covered their head as well. This was something the women did in worship at that particular time. <clears throat> for if a woman is not covered, let her be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, which it was, let her be covered. Put on your covering. Wear it like you are supposed to do. Uh, it was a custom at the time, and it was a custom they were supposed to abide by, just like we are today. We're to abide by customs today. Some things, according to custom, are not appropriate. If so, then we're not to do it. When I was a boy, the houses of prostitution up and down the street, they always put a red light in their porch light. It was always a red bulb. And when you saw that red bulb, you knew what was there. And if you wanted to frequent the place, you could. So it wasn't appropriate for a Christian, for example, to have a, a red light on their front porch. Is it wrong to have a red light? No. But if you put up a red light, people would think it was a house of prostitution. So don't use a red light. There's no law that you can't use a red light. But it wasn't appropriate. And so it was. Godly women at this time covered their head and wore their veil. That was what godly women did. Prostitutes, on the other hand, they 
cropped their hair off. They wore short hair, uh, almost to a brush cut, depending on the person, and that's how they identified themselves as prostitutes. They didn't have red light bulbs, so they used their heads to be a signpost for who they were. And as it always is, it is now. Uh, look how many females try to imitate Britney Spears. Well, look at Britney Spears. Is that someone somebody should be trying to imitate? Is that what godliness is going to imitate? Or what about a man who tries to imitate the likes of Mick Jagger? Is that something a Christian person would do? Does it seem seemly that we who are not of this world would try to imitate those who are the world? It just doesn't make sense. No, there's not a specific law forbidding certain things, but there are customs and cultures. And if you, if you go against what's acceptable amongst the populace, I'm talking about the Christian populace, if you go against what's acceptable, then people are gonna think badly of you. You may be a good person, but people aren't gonna perceive you to be a good person. Why? Because you look like the world and the world is not to be a part of the church. This is what Paul's addressing, okay? The hair, the veil, it's immaterial. It has nothing to do with us today, except that there has to be a difference between male and female, a distinguishable difference. Some of us, uh, we, we grow whiskers, so we won't be mistaken for a female. Uh, some women, they generally use the length of their hair, so they won't be mistaken. You don't want to make a law where there is no law. That's just as bad as denying a law. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong to impose what you think is a law on other people and say that they're a sinner if they don't do what you think they ought to do. Well, Paul's not imposing a law. He's imposing godly behavior. I'm going to talk about that in the sermon, actually, in a few minutes. But uh, that's what Paul's uh, discussing. It's very important. It's a very important matter because there's, there's many things we should do and should not do, which is based on what is socially acceptable for Christian people. There isn't a thou shalt not or thou shalt. It's just what's appropriate for us to do. <clears throat> He's not addressing the matter of women preaching, teaching, or prophesying, at least not in this text. That's not what this discussion is about. His subject in this uh, chapter is coverings, culture, and custom. That's what, he, that's what he's talking about. It had to do with the culture, the customs of the people. Uh, and uh, I want to point that out, first thing out. Let's talk about Judah and Tamar back in the Old Testament days. Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar. Judah was one of the sons of Jacob or Israel. And uh, Tamar married his boys. In Genesis chapter 38, <clears throat> the record states that Judah, the son of Jacob, had three sons. The name of those boys, the first one was Ur. He was the oldest one. The second one was Onan. He was uh, the middle boy. And then, of course, the third one was Shelah, verse 5 in that chapter. Well, what exactly happened? Just a very brief history. Uh, Ur married a woman named Tamar. She was given to him to be his wife, and 
So she was. Well, Er suddenly unexpectedly died. He's out of the picture. Well, according to the way of the times, Tamar would be transferred down to Onan. She'd become his wife so that he could raise up seed to his brother, Er. So that's what happened. Well, Onan suddenly died. And then Tamar, by their system, should have been transferred to Shelah, the youngest son. Well, Judah wasn't going to have any part of it. Instead, he sent her back to her father's house. It's, this wasn't looking good. You got three boys. The first one's dead. He was married to her. The second one's dead. He was married to her. You ain't getting a hold of my third son. <laughs> I don't want him to die too. So instead of letting her marry him, he sent her back to her daddy and said, you stay with him and you stay away from my son lest there be another death in the family. She had no husband, no child, and most importantly, no inheritance. She should have been receiving the inheritance by means of her husband uh, that Judah had, could pass down to her. But uh, that's out of the question now. So what happens to Mar? She's mad. She's angry. She's back at her father's house. She has no husband. She can't have children, and she won't get that inheritance. So it's not, uh, it's not a good situation for her. It's not good to be a woman alone in Israel during that particular time. So in Genesis 38, 13 through 15, it was told to Mars saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she, so she took off her widow's garments. She had them on all this time, still wearing them, the custom. She took off her widow's garments and she covered herself with a veil and covered her head. She sat in an open place, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown, he was now a grown man, and she was not given to him as a wife. She's going to get her part of the inheritance one way or another. She has a plan. So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, a prostitute. Well, what made him think that? Because she had covered her face. She was wearing a veil and a covering over her head. It's odd, isn't it? In the first century, this veil and covering was a symbol of modesty. Back during the days of Judah, that same veil and head covering was a symbol of Harlotry, just the opposite. Customs are fluid. What was appropriate in the 1950s may not be appropriate today. And what was inappropriate in the 1950s might be appropriate today. I remember hearing when I was young that it was wrong to play cards, you know, playing cards that you shouldn't, people, people play cards and they gamble, therefore you shouldn't play cards. You couldn't play Rook, couldn't play Pinochle. You couldn't play AC Deucey or anything else because it was seen to be a bad thing and preachers preached it from their pulpits loud and clear. Well, it was not appropriate for the time people abstained, I say for the most part, except when they were hid in their house, then they'd bring out the cards. 
but uh, people abstain from any public display of playing cards. Today, that's not the case. People play rook, people play pinochle, nobody's ashamed of it. They'll play it out in the front yard, they'll play it when they go camping, nothing wrong. Nobody thinks it's wrong. But there was a time when it was perceived to be wrong. There are some things today we may perceive to be right or wrong, and 20 years from now, it may be just the opposite. Laws don't change. They never change. Jesus said we're to be baptized for remission of sins. That's going to be that way until the last day before he comes. But customs and cultures are fluid. They change. And if you can't change with the times as these customs change, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of the good book because you're going to be imposing as law what was never a law. It just seemed like it was a law. You've heard me tell the story about when people got these little trays and put them on the Lord's Supper table. Uh, some congregations had a division over it. And the reason was you're supposed to put a sheet over the Lord's Supper. Oh, that's been that way ever since I can remember. It was that way when I was a boy. And now all of a sudden, you modern types, you want to upgrade everything. You want to do things different than what we've always done it. And you went out and bought these trays that's got a lid on them. That's the reason they covered them, so the flies wouldn't get on them. They thought it was there because, well, it was supposed to be there. No, they couldn't keep the flies out of the bread and the fruit of the vine. So they covered it with a sheet. But over time, it became a law in some people's mind. How about the one with the woman? She called her mama one time. And she said, how do you, how do you uh, go about cooking a ham? And, and the mother told her. And the daughter, she got out a knife or hacksaw or whatever. And uh, she cut off about eight inches of that ham. Her mama told her, you know, it's 12 inches long. And she had 18, she cut off part of it. And she put it in her big baking pan, stuck it in the oven. And uh, she asked her mama one day, said, Mama, how come, how come you only bake a 12 inch ham? She said, my pan is 12 inches long. That's all I can get in there. And the daughter had a 20 inch pan. So she's cutting off the ham because that's what you're supposed to do. Cut off the end of the ham. So many things, and there are a lot of things that this happens. People think it's a law. It's not a law. Read the book. It's not a law. And we have to distinguish between the two. Otherwise, the church is going to suffer from divisions that never should have happened in the first place. I've seen this ever since I've been a Christian. People arguing, fussing over things that didn't even matter, one way or the other. If a woman wants to put a hat on her head or wear a cover over her head or a veil over her face, well, that's none of my business. That's her business. That's not our custom, but it's not wrong if a person does it on the other hand either. I certainly wouldn't be offended by it. With that in mind, let's go on with this uh, study. 
if a woman is not covered, if she, if she, if she refuses to cover herself, well, let her shave her head. Let her crop it, cut it down low. Judge among yourselves, he'll ask in verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Think about it for a second. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And everybody's going to think about it, and they're going to say, no, it's not. Why? Because it's not the culture. It's not the custom. A woman come in to worship without having her head, oh, that's, that's blasphemy in the minds of most people. She can't do that. He said, now think about it. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman not to cover her head? And the consensus is going to be, no, it's not. If you ask the same thing today, people say, sure, it is. But back then, they would have said, no, it's not. If you would have asked back in the day of Judah, they would have said, no, she better not cover her head when she comes to worship because everybody would know she was a prostitute. They're fluid. They always change. <clears throat> he goes back to verse 6. If it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, and it would be, it would be adulteresses sometimes, their heads were shaved to identify them as an adulteress. When Berlin fell, <clears throat> there were those who cohorted with uh, the Germans. These were... Uh, women of different nationalities, they cohorted with the Germans, they would shave their heads ball and put a swastika on their head to identify them as a, one who took sides with the Germans during the war. Well, back then, if a woman was an adulteress, they'd shave her head, and that was identifying her as an adulteress. This would be a Christian woman, of course. There were worldly women that didn't mind being bald-headed, but a Christian woman that was bald-headed, well, she couldn't come to worship anymore lest everybody know she was an adulteress. Well, what if she was to ask for forgiveness? Could she be, well, of course she could be forgiven, but now she got stuck with a bald head. It shouldn't have never happened in the first place. If it's a shame to be bald or shaved, shorn or shaved, then let her be covered. Uh, wear the covering. Uh, you should be just as ashamed if you don't have a covering on and you go to worship God. You should be ashamed. They weren't, but they should have been. Something's wrong. They don't possess the spirit of Christ. They don't have the mind of Christ. If they were godly, righteous women, they would have been embarrassed by the prospect of not wearing a veil in worship, but they weren't, which goes to show that something was missing in their heart. They weren't what they were supposed to be. The Talmud indicates that a Jew considered a woman with a shaved head extremely ugly. Can you believe that's in their book? That's a book that's more important than the Old Testament to them. And they talk about a woman being ugly with a shaved head. Chrysostom, he's a historian, records that women guilty of adultery had their hair shaved off and were marked as prostitutes. Aristophanes even taught that the mother of unworthy children should have her hair shorn. Boy, there'd be a lot of bald-headed women today if that was the rule. But it wasn't. It was the custom of the time. This was uh, the doings of the Jewish people. Praying or prophesying, <clears throat> keep that in mind. What's he talking about? Worship. When a woman worships God, 
when she prays or prophesies, let her be covered. What if she goes into the closet? Let her be covered. Anytime she prays or prophesies, how could she prophesy? They had women assemblies. That wasn't hard. It was all females. Can a woman preach at an all-female assembly? Well, of course she can. And a woman could prophesy at an all-female assembly. But if there was a man there, she wouldn't be allowed to do it because she can't teach men. She has to be silent because that's what the law says. Okay? So he's not saying a woman has to be covered, wear a veil all the time. But when she approaches God, her head has to be covered and wearing, of course, the veil, which the covering was. The veil was just a part of it. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man, and that's the difference. Boy, it's a little bit hard to understand, but not too much. Uh, Adam was the first man, which gave man uh, preeminence on earth. The woman and every creature that had life was subordinate to the man, Adam. He was the cream of God's creation. There was nothing on the earth that ranked higher than the man. Therefore, the man was not to approach God with a head covering. Well, obviously, he's not talking about hair, is he? Because you'd have to shave your head if that was the case. But there were men, especially among the Jews, who wore veil, or coverings over their head. They didn't wear the veil, but they covered their head when they prayed or worshiped. You're not supposed to do that. Why? Because man is the epitome of God's creation the tip of the iceberg. There's nothing on the earth higher than a man. And therefore, a man is not to wear a covering. The woman, on the other hand, she was not to pray or prophesy unless she covered her head. Why? Because she wasn't the highest on the earth. She was in subordination to the man. And because she was in subordination to another on the earth, she was supposed to wear the head covering, demonstrating her subordination to man. That's why the man didn't wear a cover, because the only thing higher than him was God, and God is everywhere. But the woman, because man was first, the woman had to wear a covering, indicating she understood she was subordinate to the man. Do you understand that? That's very important. I think I talked last week about this not being a shame to the female. It had nothing to do with intellect. It had nothing to do with ability. It had nothing to do with strength. It had nothing to do with any of that stuff. The only reason this was the case, number one, Adam was created and Eve was created out of Adam. Number two, Eve was deceived by the serpent in the garden. The man wasn't. He just sinned gladly to make his wife happy, apparently. But for those two reasons, the woman was placed in subjection to the man in the Garden of Eden before they were expelled from the garden. 
That was part of the punishment she received for letting herself be deceived by the serpent. So we have this order that existed. The man doesn't cover his head and the woman should. I seen a man in worship one time, he wore a hat. And I asked him why he wore the hat. He said his rug was out being cleaned. So he put on a hat. No, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to wear a hat when you worship God. That stands as a symbol of your subordination to something on the earth higher than you are. And when he did that, he was wrong in so doing. But the woman, on the other hand, she wears the covering because she's subordinate to man. It's not a, it's not a custom today, but it was, at least at one time. It's not a law. It was never given as law. It was only cultural. And therefore, since it wasn't law, we have to see it as a cultural event and not try to make a law out of it. Uh, this is the anti-brethren, whom we love very much. Uh, they try to impose laws and restrictions on the rest of us that they have no right to. The things that they declare we must do, there's no law saying that we ought to do that, and there's no law prohibiting what we do. But they think it's the best way to do it. Well, that's fine. That's why I told a preacher down in Gainesboro. Well, that's fine. If that's what you think the congregation at Gainesboro needs to do, then by all means, do it. But don't tell us what to do. I'm not going to complain about you not having Bible classes. And you ought not cl uh, complain about us having Bible classes. But he was trying to take a belief and make it a law. And that's the same thing we would do today if we started imposing these rules and regulations uh, today. Praying or prophesying is the time, not going to the market. Uh, a man indeed ought not to cover his head since because he is the image and the glory of God. He was created in the image of God from the dust of the earth. The woman, on the other hand, was created from the man and therefore, hers is a secondary role. The woman is the glory of the man. God created the man out of the dust of the earth. This man was God's glory. The woman was created out of the rib that came out of the man. This woman was the man's glory. Okay? It's kind of like an a, a L. God and man, man and woman. And that's uh, the order that we find given as a law uh, by the Lord uh, right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And it's passed down to today. The man is the image and glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. That's the order. God, man, woman. Many don't like it. Well, you don't have to like it but you have to deal with the Lord about it. It's not my order of things. 
I know a lot of women I would think would be better leaders than men. I know a lot of women that I think are strong in character and godly content, maybe even more so than some men are that are Christian men. But the rule's been set by the Lord. It's not ours to change. We just have to accept it uh, as it is. Of course, we're not talking about man being boss over a woman. If the man is like Christ, willing to lay down his life for his wife, then he ought to lay down his life for his wife as he lives. His wife would be his first order of business. His interests would be secondary to hers if he is what he ought to be. Sometimes we think about the male-female relationship. Let's think about Christ's relationship to us. We're supposed to behave towards our wives like Christ did towards us. There's no boss in the equation. There's no, I make the decisions around here. If I treat BR like Christ treats me, she's in pretty good shape. If I am what I ought to be. Man is not from a woman. Man didn't come from woman. It was the woman who came from man. <clears throat> Nor was man created for the woman. The woman was created for the man. That was the purpose. This is how the order got established. For this reason, what? The woman came from man for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, we know in the text when the words are italicized, they don't belong there, such as a symbol of. Those are italicized in your Bible. What does that mean? They don't belong there. The way it ought to read is for this reason, the woman ought to have authority on her head because of the angels. The angels witness our worship that the angels would not be offended because the woman is acting out of a, not in harmony with a godly character. The angels will be offended by her actions. So this ought not be going on in the church of Corinth, even though it was. The Lord, or Paul, well, of course the Lord was telling Paul, but the Lord knew what the purpose of it was. They were trying to be in step with the prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. Oh, look at that. Oh, that hairdo is so marvelous. I've got to have that hairdo. No, no, that's not the way Christians are supposed to think. The Lord said, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we love the world and worldliness, we don't possess the love of God. Something's missing, something absent. When the male and the female are what they ought to be, you've got unison. You've got oneness. You've got two who have actually become one. And as one, they are stronger than ever. But both persons have to do their part and understand what that part is. 
It's not being lesser, certainly not a slave, but a partner in all aspects of life. Nevertheless, neither is the man independent of woman, and he's not, nor a woman independent of man in the Lord. Both play crucial roles in the family, which is the foundation of all civilizations. For as woman came from man, now watch the language change, even so man also comes through woman. You know, in the Bible, it always talks about the seed being from the male. The male carries the seed. And he passes the seed on through the woman. And through the woman, from his seed, a child is born. So I didn't come from my mother. I came through my mother. The language is going back to creation. Eve literally came from Adam, from a rib. That's not how reproduction works. We come through part of the male, part of the female, and through the woman, <clears throat> she houses the life that's come into existence. And through her, the child is born. There's a difference. He comes through. She came from. And Paul's making the distinction clear. But all things are from God. It's all God's doing. It's the way God set it up. It's what he planned, what he intended. And it's a rule for us to follow. Today, it's a very hateful rule in the eyes of many. It shouldn't be considered that way. It's not hateful at all. It's a very kind rule, very... Uh, a, a rule that's uh, in harmony with both uh, natures, the male and the female. We're very different. I know now they say we're not. These men claiming to be women <clears throat> and competing against them in sports, they get out here and swim and he beats her. He beats her by 10 or 15 yards. Why? Because he's stronger. He's got a stronger body. His frame is stronger. It's like a steel frame versus a wooden frame under a trailer. It's stronger. So, of course, he's going to beat her, but he calls himself a woman. He can't compete in men's racing, so he calls himself a woman and goes out there and competes with the girls. Is that fair? There's no way that could be fair. He's not a female. He's a male. But they claim to be female. You know, right now they're making a lot of children into what they're not. State of Nebraska last week passed a law where you couldn't flip the sex of a minor. It's the only state in the union that's got such a law. No other state has it. If a mother wants to turn her little girl into a boy, snip, 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 and she's a boy or vice versa. That's just not right. That's not, you know, women say, well, we got the right to kill our baby if we want to. Now they're saying we got the right to change the sex of the baby if we don't like it. Something's gone really wrong, and it shouldn't be that way. There's a difference between men and women. 
we're very different, and thank God we are. A man makes up for what a woman might not possess, and a woman makes up for what a man may not possess. And to tell you the truth, I think the women may have gotten the short end of the stick because VR contributes uh, much more to uh, all of our personalities, my family, than I did. I, you know, I got, I got the influence there, but not like she does. Not like she does. I remember back when my kids were little, they'd say, Dad, do you think I can do this? Yeah, go ahead, it's all right. Well, I better go ask Mama. Hey, I can tell you it's all right. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm the head of the house. Yeah, I understand. But I better go tell Mama. <laughs> They're going to tell Mama. I don't even know why that fool will come to me in the first place. There's something different. I can't explain what it is, but I know it's there because I've seen it with my own eyes. The woman contributes something to the family that creates the cohesion. It's what makes us a family. So many times when a mother dies and there's children involved, so many times the family suffers. Because that glue, that cohesion, isn't there anymore. And the daddy may not have, most don't, may not have what it takes to pull it all together. That's why God put the man and woman together and made them one. That's the best way. That's the right way. That's God's way. And it's got to be the best way. Judge among yourselves. We discussed this a moment ago. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Today we say yes. Back then they would say no. It wasn't. It was not the accepted practice among the righteous at that time. <clears throat> Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, where did our understanding of this practice come from? That women's hair are, is, used, is longer than a man's hair. He said nature teaches us that. I can't explain how nature does. I know it does. Because men wearing shorter hair than women is something that's uh, universal. It's a universal practice. All nations practice it. Men have shorter hair than women. It's the way it is. Where did the rule come from? Where did the law come from? I know of no such law, except perhaps the law of nature. Somehow, in some way, nature teaches us that a woman's hair is going to be longer than a man's. Now, that's not a pat rule, but that is the custom, and it's a custom universally. One distinction made between a man and a woman, it's not the only one, but it's one way of distinguishing the difference between the male and the female. Generally, it's the length of one's hair. I used to wear long hair, that's why I had to grow a beard, because somebody would think I was a woman until I turned around. And they knew, hey, I ain't no woman. I try to make light of it because I know it can be tense for some. Yeah, Jeff? I always, of course, I had long hair a few years ago. I went to grow. Paul's asking a question. He's not making a statement. No. He's asking a question. And he, it depends upon the context and what 
he may be being sarcastic here. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not an expert by any means, but I think so often when we see this, when we read the Bible, so often we don't pay attention to punctuation. Yeah. He's not making a claim. He's asking a question. And, uh, it, it's a rule that everybody knew. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. At that time, but it always amazes me to get the question. Yeah. It's, uh, he, he's stating what everybody knew to be a truth, at least among the people. And when you go universally, uh, how come they do the same thing in Afghanistan or down in China? I mean, why? How do you account for that? I don't know. I don't know of any other way except what Paul says here. Nature teaches you this. And that's why we ought to do things. Sometimes it's the custom. And when it is a custom, we got our own customs we contend with, things we do and don't do, because it just doesn't seem right for either the male or female to do it. So we abstain from some things. Not because there's a law. <clears throat> but because people will misunderstand who we are. And for godly people, that's, that's a big deal. I'm trying to win souls to Christ, not run them off. So I try to conform to uh, what's appropriate. I remember one time at Free Will, a woman come out the back door. She was old as Moses. She come out the back door and she said, you know, she said, well, your sermon was okay, but you really need to get that stuff off your face. I said, why? She said, it's nasty. I said, well, my Lord wore a beard. She, she got up and she got loud. My Lord did not wear a beard. And I was, by that time, I was pushing the envelope. I said, haven't you ever seen a painting of him? <laughs> and nobody, nobody got a picture of him. Uh, read your Bible and find out that he had hair on his face because it was prophesied by Isaiah that when he was crucified, they would pull the hair out of his face. That indicates a beard. Yes, he had a beard. But uh, she gave me down the road over that. <clears throat> she never came back, and I didn't complain. She was, uh, that was one tough woman, boy. Well, it looks like everybody's back. We'll, uh, we'll take up, Lord willing. Uh, well, we'll take up, Lord willing, back here. <clears throat>